with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 and welcome to the seventh and final week of our Where There's Smoke series where we have been examining our emotions, our feelings and how they function like smoke from a fire um, leading us back to our heart. So we recognize the, the smoke of these emotions so that we can focus on the health of our spiritual lives and be able to just see what's going on there. And over the last six weeks, we have really dove into some heavy emotions such as depression, anxiety, anger, envy, shame, and pride. And this morning, we come to probably one of the most common and yet most serious of these emotions, which is, isn't just forgiveness, it's unforgiveness. The unforgiveness that is in our hearts and lives. There, there are certain theological words, um, despite being common by us, um, are continually misunderstood by our non-Christian family and friends. Um, words such as redemption or justification or glory or trinity. If you don't go to church, you probably aren't using those words very often. It's just not part of your vocabulary. Yet there's another set of words that are even probably more misunderstood. And these are words that everyone uses. And we as believers just use them differently than the world around us. And the problem is when the world around us hear these words, they think they know the meaning when in fact their definition is a mile or miles away from the biblical idea. And the words such as God, you think about how many non-Christians, I ran across a person um, this week who said, I don't really, I hadn't thought of God much, and I listened to them, and they said, oh my God, about a hundred times. And I'm like, apparently you have you, uh, enough for you to talk about him a whole lot, or your God, um, sin, holiness, or forgiveness. Forgiveness seems um, simple enough, yet I'm convinced most people in our society, and unfortunately maybe even in the church, don't think of forgiveness in biblical terms, especially in the context of God's forgiveness over us and then our responsibility to forgive others. Most people tend to combine forgive with words like excuse or even worse, words like ignore, which make for a nasty mixture. And there are, there are four undeniable biblical principles when it comes to forgiveness that I want to lay before us from the start this morning. The first is this. Sin makes man guilty and brings the judgment of God. Sin makes us guilty and brings God's judgment. Sin is the um, source of every issue, whether it be sickness, suffering, pain, death. Yet, ultimately, sin makes us guilty before a holy God. Second, forgiveness is offered to us because of the work of the Son of God. So because of Jesus' work for us, we are offered forgiveness. God is merciful and He is gracious and He offers to us in and through His Son what we do not, can never deserve, which is His forgiveness. The third is that confession of sin is necessary to receive the forgiveness of God. So in order for us to own His forgiveness, we must own our sin. We must come clean of our sin for us to own God's forgiveness. And then last, forgiving others. And hear this, forgiving others is an essential part of receiving the forgiveness of God. Forgiving others is an essential part of receiving the forgiveness of God. And here's what we know. 
forgiving others, is, it doesn't come natural. It's a supernatural thing. It doesn't come natural. But withholding forgiveness is a lot like allowing a tumor in our bodies to spread aggressively while ignoring the necessary treatment. That's what unforgiveness is. It's allowing a tumor to grow and refusing to do anything about it. Forgiveness has the power to heal, yet unforgiveness is toxic to our very souls. And think about a group of us this morning. So a group of, and I read it this week, and it's fantastic reading. We are made up not of, of a group of, of common friends. We are really made up of a group of common enemies. We, the only thing that unites us together ultimately is Jesus and what he has done for us. But forgiveness is the only way to live an intimate, long-term relationship with other sinners. The only way we're going to make it through this life together is through forgiveness. Forgiveness is the only way to negotiate through our own weaknesses and our own failures that daily mark our relationships. Forgiveness is the only way to deal with hurt and disappointment that take place even in places like this. Forgiveness is the only way not to be kidnapped by our past. So let me just say this, and please hear this. If you are here this morning and you are someone who holds grudges, who keeps score, who can't let go, who desires and seeks vengeance and justice for yourself, if that is you, then you need to hear something this morning. And that is this. You are hurting yourself. You are hurting your relationship with God. And you are hurting the body of Christ. That, we don't want to hear that, but that is true. You're hurting yourself. You are hurting your fellowship with God. And you are hurting the body of Christ. In the words of Philip Keller, just hear these words the degree to which I am able and willing to forgive others is a clear indication of the extent to which I have personally experienced God's forgiveness for me. The corollary to this is that anyone, hear this, anyone who is not willing to forgive another has certainly not known God's loving forgiveness. So if you've ever said, I refuse to forgive, then you must not know how much God has forgiven you. Or you must not know God's forgiveness at all. This, the truth of what he's saying. So with this foundation laid, I want us to turn to the word today. And specifically to the words of Jesus and hear what he has to say concerning forgiveness. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word. And some people always ask me, why do we stand when we honor God's word, or when we read God's word? And I always take this from the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah. When they found the word of God, they opened the word of God and the people just stood. Because it's a way of us reverencing this is God's word. In the same way, some of you might think it's kind of weird. It's never weird when a bride, those doors open and a bride starts walking down and people stand up. Why? Because we are honoring in that moment. And so we want to honor this moment by standing and honoring the words of God. So verse 21 through verse 35, it says this. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my, will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say um, to you seven times, but 77 times, or some of your Bibles say seven, 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. 
And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of the fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave all that debt, all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you who, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you now. And Lord, we know that this is a very heavy subject. Lord, it's a subject that for many in this room, it holds us captive. And yet, Lord, what it does ultimately, Lord, is it dishonors you. And it dishonors the forgiveness that we claim to have in you. So we pray today in this moment that you, by your spirit, through your word, would speak into our lives. And God, help us to obey. Break our hearts, God. Break our hardened hearts, we pray. Just move among your people. Move among all people here today. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So without any question whatsoever, forgiveness is the key relational issue in the Bible. It's essential to our relationship with God, to our relationship with other people, even to our relationship with ourselves. Most of us think forgiveness is a very good idea until we have to give it. And then we don't like having to give forgiveness. It's a great idea. It's a great subject to talk about or to sing about until we're called to forgive someone. And many times we struggle with forgiving someone because it feels like we're agreeing with or condoning what they've done to us. Other times we may generally want to forgive someone, but we just can't seem to get past our anger towards them. And there, there are other times where we actually think we've forgiven someone only to feel that familiar stab of resentment resurface when we hear their name or when we see them again, and then we realize we really haven't forgiven them. Oftentimes, the whole process of forgiveness is so painful and sometimes so confusing that many of us just give up on it altogether, meaning we just refuse to forgive. And then think about what we just read. So what we just read, a story about forgiveness that begins with a question from Peter. So Peter says, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? And here's what we have to understand. Peter was going big here. Now, Peter was going really big because the Jewish law and tradition said that you only had to forgive someone three times. So Peter is doubling it and then adding one. Peter's been following Jesus long enough to know that Jesus is way more merciful than all the other teachers. So surely he's going to have a little more mercy than everybody else. So Peter says seven times and he's probably waiting for Jesus to pat him on the back saying, you're right, Peter. That's exactly right. But that's not what Jesus says. Instead, Jesus says, I do not say seven times, but 77 times. Or your Bible might say 70 times seven. And it means the same thing. I'll, I'll explain that in just a second. What Jesus doesn't mean, he, he doesn't mean... If you forgive 77 times, 70 
Eighth time is open season. Or if you forgive 490 times, the 491st episode is on. You are free just to go at that person. That's not what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is saying here is we are to forgive infinitely. We are to forgive, hear this, as often as necessary. Seven, if you remember a couple weeks ago, is a number of completion, but so is ten. So when Jesus takes seven um, and then adds ten to it or, or multiplies it by, by ten, seventy, he's doing it for good measure. He's saying that we should forgive completely, times completely, with an extra completely thrown in. That is the picture of how we are to forgive. Then Jesus tells a parable, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning of a king who forgives a debtor who owed him, get this, an immeasurable or an infinite amount, 10,000 talents. It's an off-the-charts amount. Sometimes we don't get that in our minds. When Jesus said this and said 10,000 talents, the people would have went like, what? 10,000 talents? Now, I'll explain that in a second. It's a immeasurable, infinite amount. Yet, after crying out for mercy before this king, the debtor the debtor who is forgiven, he's forgiven by this king of this immeasurable debt, then he finds someone who owes him a measurable debt, a hundred denarii. So one denarii was equivalent to one day's wages. So a hundred denarii would be a hundred days wages. So not a small debt by any means, but measurable. Just in case you've ever wondered what the difference between 10,000 talents or a talent and denarii, here's the picture. Get this. It takes 6,000 denarii to equal one talent. 6,000 to equal just one talent. Meaning, if one denarii is one day's wages, it would take, hear this, 60 million days wages to get to 10,000 talents. This is the infinite amount of forgiveness. And brothers and sisters, in case you're wondering who this is talking about, this is talking about our forgiveness before a holy God. We have sinned infinitely against him. And it's foolish for us, just like this guy, to say, I'll pay you back. Just let me pay you. I'll pay you back. You're not paying that amount back. You're not doing it. And yet he's forgiven. And here's the sad part. Being forgiven of an immeasurable amount has zero transforming effect on this servant. He's as selfish now as he ever was. So because this forgiven debtor would not be forgiving the king Asked for a do-over. The king said, okay, we're going to do this again. And instead of having mercy this time, you're going to be punished. Which leads us to ask this question this morning. How much have we really been forgiven? Because we are the most forgiven people in the world, we should be the most forgiving people in the world. Now, you might think, well, the person who wronged me doesn't deserve forgiveness. You know what? You're right. They don't. But guess what? You don't either. You don't either, and I don't either. We don't deserve God's forgiveness, yet he's given it to us. So guess what? Deserve means nothing. If you want what you deserve, then go to hell, because that's what you deserve. But guess what? That's not what you want. So therefore, if we don't want that from others, let's stop giving hell to other people who have wronged us in these kind of ways. We have been forgiven, yet here's the issue. Here's the reason why we don't like to forgive. It's because forgiveness doesn't come cheaply and it doesn't come easily. It always comes at an expense to the one who has been wronged. In all cases, so think about this, in all cases where wrong has been done, there is a debt 
And there's no way to deal with that suffering or, or excuse me, to deal with that without suffering. So if you are the person who has the perpetrator who has done the wrong, then you need to suffer. Or if you're the one who has been wrong, you have to forgive, which is you have to incur the, the debt yourself. In fact, within God himself, think about this, within God himself, there is a constant memorial to the heavy cost of forgiving. In fact, we just sang about it at the cross. At the cross. There's a memorial, constant memorial to what it cost God to forgive us. It cost Jesus his life. Yet because it costs us something, because there's a debt involved, we often choose unforgiveness. And what unforgiveness does, hear this, it holds us hostage. And then when we try to pull away from it, it pulls us right back in. And we find ourselves prisoners to what someone has said to us or what someone has done to us or maybe perhaps what we've even done to ourselves. Can you even imagine, and I don't think we can, just for a moment, the massive amount of resentment and bitterness that resides in the hearts of us in this room today. It's easy for us to say, out there, oh, they're bitter and they're nasty. But there's, there's oftentimes bitterness and resentment exist in our hearts in this moment right where we sit. It's overwhelming to think about the anger, the bitterness, the resentment that some have walked in this room with. Yet the goal is for us not to walk out of here with it, but to lay it down. Or as the word forgive means, to release it or to give it away. To give it away. And understanding the reality of what our unforgiveness does or our refusal to forgive. So we're going to unpack three truths this morning related to our unforgiveness. And I pray that God will just work in, in this next few moments in ways that only he can. So the first is this. Unforgiveness breeds bitterness within. Unforgiveness breeds bitterness Within. So unforgiveness is a state of, of emotional and mental distress that results from a delayed response in forgiving someone who has offended us. It leads to bitterness of heart that erodes away at our very souls. It robs us of joy. It robs us of contentment. And it robs us of today. It robs us of this very day and tomorrow because we're stuck in something that happened yesterday or the past. Unforgiveness creates a domino effect that negatively impacts every part of us. Our emotions, our thoughts, our behaviors, our relationships with God and with others. With unforgiveness, time does not heal all wounds. In fact, unforgiveness in time makes the wounds worse. The pain worsens. For unforgiveness, as we said, is not just like a tumor. It's like carrying around a weight, and the longer you carry it... You don't get stronger, you get weaker. The heavier the burden becomes, it creates an emotional storm of distress which leads to stress and anxiety and depression and insecurity and uh, fear that surfaces in our lives. And not only does it do that, even worse, it hardens our hearts. Unforgiveness hardens our hearts. 
you, you hear people and you talk to people and you realize the things that they're saying, they don't sound like someone who knows the Lord, yet they claim the Lord in the, the pictures. There has to be something in their lives by which, whether somebody did something to them or they sinned against God in a way that they are too prideful to ask for forgiveness, seek forgiveness, whatever it is, and their hearts have become hardened. And they're just a, a walking memorial to what used to be, but now what is is not something that anyone would seek after or anyone would want. Oftentimes the offense of us becomes an all-consuming of us to the point that we, have, we lose um, enjoyment, we lose purpose. We forget what we're supposed to be about. So much so that we no longer find joy in our identity as being forgiven. This is what we see here in this parable. We're told in Matthew 18, 28, the same servant found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe, meaning this. He, he did not find his identity in being forgiven. Instead, he found his identity in being wronged. You're going to either have one or two identities. Either you're going to find your identity in being forgiven before a holy God for what you deserve, or your identity will be, I am wronged, and everyone, everyone in this world owes and deserves me everything. And that's how we're going to live, one way or the other. And I know I'm hitting nerves here today because I see it all over your faces, but I don't care. This is what the Word of God says. In fact, in Hebrews, we're told, see to it. The author of Hebrews says, see to it, please see to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble in you. Don't let a root of bitterness take root in your life because it will bring you trouble. Unforgiveness brings bitterness within. And there are some here today that are eaten up by it. Don't ignore it any longer. Release it. Give it away. Secondly, not only does unforgiveness breed bitterness within, secondly, unforgiveness opens a door from without. It opens up a door from without. And what, it, what that means is this. Unforgiveness opens up a door for the enemy. It opens up a door for Satan to enter into our lives. Most of the ground that Satan gains in our lives is due to unforgiveness. Hear that again. Most of the ground that Satan gains in our lives is due to unforgiveness. Listen to Romans 13, 19-21. Paul says, it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Paul says, in so doing, you'll be heaping ashes upon his head. And he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Or do not be overcome by the evil one, but overcome the evil one by good. I was introduced to a book this week as I was reading. And in fact, I ordered it and can't wait to start reading it. But a little over 10 years ago, Bishop um, John Rukahana, and I'll say that name again, I'm sure I'll say it differently because it's just so hard to say. He wrote a book entitled The Bishop of Rwanda, Finding Forgiveness Amid a Pile of Bones, in which he talked about the horrible genocide that took place in Rwanda in 1994 and the aftermath of the civil war there. He said that the genocides were, of course, obviously horrendous, but he said this, it was the lingering bitterness and hatred afterwards that was the most difficult. Most people couldn't even consider the idea of ever forgiving. Just imagine that. Imagine genocides of losing family. 
You have a family of 40 and it's down to just you and your brother. Could you forgive? And what, here's what he says. He says that the obstacles to forgiveness really came from lies people believed about forgiveness. And here's what we know. Satan is a liar. Let me just give you three lies that we often believe. So think about open doors from without for us to believe the lies that Satan will throw at us. Lie number one, we must wait until the person shows repentance before we extend forgiveness. It's a lie that we believe, that we have to wait until the other person is repenting before we forgive them. Let me just put it blunt, bluntly. Jesus didn't wait. Jesus didn't wait. He forgave his enemies while he was on the cross. At the very moment they were killing him, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Here's where we get it wrong. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. With reconciliation, both sides have to come to the table. They have to be fighting and going in the same direction. But forgiveness is about a person first releasing bitterness, and then only second is it about restoring the relationship. Sometimes the relationship can be healed. Other times it can't be healed. There, there are times where it just cannot be healed. But our responsibility is to forgive either way. We have to let it go. We have to give it away. We have to release it either way. There were some at the foot of the cross that did not receive the forgiveness of Christ. And yet he was willing to forgive them. He forgave them and let it go in his heart. What was going on in his mind in that moment. But then lie number two, forgiving someone lessens or minimizes the offense. So sometimes we think if we forgive them, it's going to lessen or minimize the pain or what they have done to me. And people get this confused a lot. They assume that forgiving is the same as saying it's not that bad after all. Or, you know, listen, think about this. You excuse someone if you bump into them when you're walking. Or if you excuse someone if um, they step on your toes. You say, no harm, no foul but forgiveness is not that forgiveness is not just saying no harm no foul forgiveness is staring right in the face of evil calling it evil and then choosing to let vengeance be God's and not yours that is the picture of forgiveness the irony is this the irony is that victims who refuse to forgive somehow think that they are getting back at the offender but the real person being hurt by unforgiveness is the unforgiver. The unforgiver is being hurt. Their heart is being hardened. Their relationship with God is being torn apart. Their fellowship with God in that way. And then lie number three, forgiveness is a feeling. So we really can't forgive until we feel it. You know, people imagine that forgiveness is a lot like falling in love or um, getting rained on, like many of you experienced this morning. You can't control it, it just happens. And when it happens, you'll feel it and you'll know it. But just think about this. Forgiveness doesn't start as a feeling. It starts as a decision. So hear that. Forgiveness doesn't start with a feeling. It starts with a decision. A decision that you and I make that I'm going to release this, I'm going to let it go, I'm going to give it away. The beauty of forgiveness, though, is as we make that decision, the feeling will come. There's a beautiful story that's told from the life of Corey Ten Boone. She was a Dutch Christian who spent years in a concentration camp for helping Jews escape Nazis. And some of the guards there were 
horrible to the women in the camp. And several years after the war, Corey Ten Boom was speaking at a church service, and just strangely enough, she was speaking about forgiveness. When afterwards, an old man stepped forward, and she immediately recognized him as one of those guards who had mistreated her so harshly. He told her how he had become a Christian after the war. He then extended his hand to her and said, Will you please forgive me? Will you please forgive me? And hear her words. She said, I had to take the man's hand. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. I told myself, hear this, I told myself, I can lift my hand. I can do that much. Jesus, please supply the feeling. So as I reached out my hand, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder. It raced down my arm. It sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes as I said, I forgive you with all of my heart. She said, for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Yet the lies of the enemy keep us from pursuing those relationships and experiencing those feelings. Unforgiveness opens a door from without. It allows us to believe those lies. It allows us to be held captive by the enemy for him to get a foothold in our lives. And we must be willing or make a decision to let it go. So unforgiveness breeds bitterness within. Unforgiveness opens a door from without. And then lastly, unforgiveness hinders fellowship from above. Unforgiveness hinders fellowship from above, meaning that unforgiveness will keep us from experiencing the daily forgiveness of God. Unforgiveness will hinder our fellowship with God. Think of Matthew 18, 33. The king said, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? When we refuse to forgive others, we're assuming that their sins against us are more serious than our sins against God. That's what we're assuming. When we refuse to forgive people and claim to be Christians, we are assuming that their sins against us are greater or more serious than our sins against God. When we claim the name of Christ and then walk away or walk around harboring bitterness and resentment, being unwilling to forgive others, we're saying something that's not true about God. We're saying that God is not merciful. We're acting in a contradictory way in the way that he treated us. Just think about that. The most horrific implication of being Unwilling to forgive is Jesus' response in Matthew 6, 15. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus couldn't be any clearer. If we don't forgive others, we will not be forgiven by our Heavenly Father. This is the most tragic and terrible of consequences of unforgiveness that our unforgiveness actually keeps us from experiencing the forgiveness and the grace of our God. Again, if you are in this moment harboring 
unforgiveness in your heart, you are not as close to God as you once were. You're not. You are not in fellowship with God as you once were. I don't care if you haven't missed a church service in 10 years. If you are harboring unforgiveness in your heart, it means this, that you are not receiving daily the forgiveness of God that you need. Therefore, you are not right with God in this moment. Your unforgiveness, your failure to forgive the one who has hurt you is cutting you off from experiencing fellowship with God today. Give it away. Release it even today. You might say, well, you know, I've forgiven the person, but I just can't forget. I just cannot forget. Well, guess what? You'll never forget. You'll never forget because you're not God. The, the picture is this. Every time once we forgive, every time we're reminded of what they've done to us, and we will be reminded of what they've done to us, then guess what we do? We give it away again. And we give it away again, and we give it away again, and we release it again, and we release it. And we're saying, I will not take that back into myself. I will release it today. I'll release it tomorrow. I'll keep releasing it because that is the picture of forgiveness. We'll never, ever truly forget what they've done to us. But we make a decision to release it and not hold it against them. There, there are others here this morning that you're in a different dilemma. The person that you can't or that you won't forgive is yourself. Maybe you're here this morning and you would say, I've, I've asked God over and over and over again to forgive me, but I still feel guilty. I hear that statement a lot as a pastor. And here's my answer to you. Pray to God again. It's that this time, don't ask God to forgive you for the sin you've already confessed to him. Ask God to forgive you instead for not believing that he will forgive you. That's the point. Who are we? I hear people all the time, I just can't forgive myself. Who in the world do you think you are? Who are you to refuse to forgive yourself when the God of heaven has forgiven you? Are you greater than him? If God declares that you are forgiven, who in the world do you think you are to say, but I can't forgive myself? Stop being a martyr to what you have done and accept what the gracious God of heaven has already declared over your life, that you are forgiven. When God promises forgiveness to his people, God doesn't play games. He's not playing around. If he says he will forgive you, then he will forgive you. And if he says you're forgiven, praise God, you are forgiven. May we understand that reality. And I know that we're sitting here today and we have, we have a room full of people that have poor memories. And what I mean by that is this. We say, um, you know, as we said this morning, God casts our sin as far as the east is from the west. He remembers them no more. And we go... I wish I could do that. I, I wish that was me. We're puzzled by that thought because we know oftentimes our sins or the sins of others keep being brought back to us. And what do we do with that? And let me just end by showing you how this works. If, you have, if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to do this, especially if you have a, a notebook. I want you to write the word sins and, and press down hard on, on your notes. So, or maybe if you have your bulletin, I want you to show you something. And just think about that picture of writing the word sins and, and writing it kind of boldly and pressed down a little bit. And then imagine you were able to take that part of your note and just rip it out and crumble it up and throw it away. That is exactly what our holy God does with our sin. Amen. But then if you were to flip over and look at the next page and maybe either run your fingers over it or run your eyes over it, 
here's what you're going to see. You're going to see that there is a, an impression left there that says sins. It's a ghost of where sin appeared in our lives. And that's what our flawed memories do. We go back over this deep impression of the sins against us or maybe our sins against God and we feel guilty or we feel pain and we feel hurt. But here's what we have to understand. Please hear this. The impression of sin is not the same thing as sin. The impression of our hurt is not the same thing as it. Will you keep focusing on the impression, the traces of your sin in your life, or will you allow the Holy Spirit to work His loving kindness and His forgiveness in your life? Will you hurt, uh, or will you take the hurts that, that those have have? come against you and there's traces that have come against you and will you forgive and keep forgiving and keep giving away or will you keep taking your hand and rubbing it over those hurts and pains so they can stay alive in you? I want to end with the words of Edward Welch. Just listen to what he says. He says, God takes initiative and moves towards us. So we believe that. How are we saved? First of all, God has taken the initiative. We didn't do anything first. God first loved us. While we were yet in our sins, Christ died for us. Meaning that if God waited for us to do something in order for us to be saved, he would never have to save any of us. Because we'd never be able to do what it took. But God took the initiative. Therefore, we take the initiative towards others. Because God took the initiative towards us, we take the initiative towards others. And let me just say this again. I cannot say this um, any more passionately to us as a congregation. If we are people in this room who live lives of unforgiveness, live lives of taking in these things and keeping them in our hearts and refusing to release them and refusing to give them away, we are hurting ourselves, we're hurting our fellowship with God, and we are hurting the body of Christ. That is where we are hurting. And let me just make it very clear once again. It doesn't matter what people have done against us, how heinous it might be. It can't compare to what we have done to God. And what our sins cost him. And yet he looks at us and says, you are forgiven. Oh, that we would do that today. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand. We're going to call the musicians forward as we enter into a time of invitation and, and consecration or a time of giving away, a time of getting right, a time of seeking the heart of God in this moment. And let's, let's pray together. Father, we come before you now. And Lord, God, we know that this is a huge issue in the lives of believers. Lord, refusing to forgive, refusing to release, refusing to give away. God, I pray right now, Lord, for those in this room who are eaten up in this moment with bitterness, resentment, anger, unforgiveness. Lord, by your Spirit's power today, show them, God, what that is doing in their lives. Show them, God, the impact that it's having on their lives and help them, God, not by their own power because, Lord, forgiveness is not a natural thing. It's a supernatural thing. Lord, help us by your power to give it away to release it, and even to keep releasing it. Lord, help us, God. Give us the ability to go to brothers and sisters who have wronged us or others outside this, this church who have wronged us or those that we have wronged and seek forgiveness. 
Lord, help us to display the forgiveness by which you have given to us. Lord, finish this service in a way that only you can, God. Convict our hearts. Lord, give, give us not one moment of peace until we have come to release and let go of that bitterness or resentment, God, that we walked in here holding on to. Help us, Lord, right now to lay it down. Lord, give us the grace and the mercy and the wisdom, Lord, in pursuing forgiveness with others. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.